0: I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3. Last week I titled the message, The Essential Foundation, and I'm going to make this part two, though it will go a little bit further than that. The Essential Foundation, the foundation is what you build on. I used an illustration last week, if the foundation is wrong, eventually the structure that is built on it will be wrong. If the foundation is faulty, the structure cannot last. It may look good for a while, just like you build a house on a rock or you build your house on sand. When everything is calm, one is equal to the other one. The difference between the two houses is not in the amount of money put into them or who built the house, but the foundation that those houses were built on. And that's true in the Christian life. I believe the church, I stand here today, I have a deeper conviction I think than I've ever had, that multitudes of people in the church do not have the right foundation. You joined church when you were a child. You started going to church. Your friend brought you to church or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend, or your neighbor, somebody, and you've learned the ways of religion. You grew up in it. You've sort of just become like the system. You've learned the songs. You've learned what this is. You've learned the dancing and the clapping and all of that. You've memorized verses in the Bible. You've heard the Bible preached every week. But your life is not a steady ascent towards the kingdom of God. You give up easy. You fall back easy. You make a lot of excuses for why you're not doing so well. And there's a problem. And the problem is in the foundation. We called that foundation last week repentance. It is so vital and so necessary that Jesus said in Luke's gospel, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The first message, John the Baptist, repent. The first message of Jesus, repent and believe. The disciples went out everywhere commanding men to repent. It was the essential message in the New Testament. If you want to follow Christ, if you want to live the Christian life, you come to him a specific and a certain way. You repent first. Acts 3.19 says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord now today it's repent and be converted let me tell you this about repentance repentance by definition is simply to change or turn the mind it's Looking at thinking seeing things in a certain way and then because of something God does Because of the influence or the activity of God All of that changes You no longer keep looking to things the same way thinking the same way about life God does something that causes you to change your mind You perceive something you've never perceived before you understand something you never understood before. What you once had an idea of becomes now something that is different. It's a conviction now. You see things differently. Job said, I've heard of you. I've talked about you and and stood your ground, stood your ground for you. I've told everybody about you, but I never knew you. Now I do, and I, I put my hand up. My part, I put my hand over my mouth. I bow my head and I shut my mouth and I say, I've spoken like a fool. I don't even know you. And yet that's true with so many people. We know a lot of facts about Jesus. We've heard testimonies all of our life. In fact, I don't know if there's ever been a meeting we haven't heard a testimony about what Jesus did. And yet we've struggled and we've floundered and we've flopped grown quiet, grown dull, made a lot of excuses, wanted to quit, give up, had issues, problems. And it seemed like we have left out a solution. Something is not fitting right in our life. And yet when a man comes to the Lord, the Bible says it's godly sorrow. Remember in 2 Corinthians 7, that godly sorrow leads us to repentance, a changing of the mind that we'll never regret that because it changed the life. At the time, it was a real issue. Oh, God, I can't give this up. How am I going to get? Oh, Lord, what's going to happen if I stop doing? Oh, I can't get. Oh, Lord. We just didn't want to see things God's way, and yet God leaned on us. Now, I don't want to overdo the words here this morning, but it was like a divine moment when there you were, trying to enjoy life by the systems of man, trying to fit in with all the latest and the greatest and be like this one and that, eat this hamburger, drink that pop, and you'll look like all those people, and yet, you know, your life was just one dark hole. You keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. And God begins to lean on you. And you begin to f- experience sorrow because you never saw yourself the way God sees you until God shows you what you're like. And you saw yourself. You begin to see all of this. Romans 2, 4, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow. The sorrow that God brings into your life simply by opening your eyes to let you see just what kind of person you really are. When you get right down to it, this is what you're really like. You're still hateful. You're still angry. You're still unforgiving. You're still complaining and grumbling. Nothing that you've ever done in church has ever changed your life. You've never gotten away from that. That still rules in your mind. And all of a sudden, you begin to see it. Maybe all of a sudden, maybe through a process of time, you begin to see it. You begin to realize, this is what I'm really like. You never saw yourself until God shows you what you're like. God begins to open your eyes, and there you are. There you are. You begin to feel that sorrow. That anguish as God begins to expose the reality of what you're really like. How easy you give up and how easy the excuses you make give you license to give up. Yeah, I mean, after all, that's the kind of person you are. It's not like you love the Lord and you want to serve the Lord. You just want him to understand why you don't want to do it that much. Your sin still has this grip on you. This living for me, doing things my way, still holds on to you. And then God shows you your sinfulness. Not all your sins. You can't remember all the sins you've ever committed, but your sinfulness. How easy it is to sin. You don't want to praise, you put your hands in your pocket, fold your arms. You don't want to. That's the kind of person you are. You don't want to sing and worship God and give him what he deserves because I don't want to. But that's the kind of person you are. That's never changed. There's moments you do, but most of the time you don't because it's just not me. Because you're still what you once were. And God, because he wants to draw you to himself. I guess you could say he makes it hard on you. Because you see just how bad, how evil how inclined to serving yourself. You really are. And then you begin to loathe all those things. You Suddenly you see certain sins in your life. You did that. Remember when you said that and how you acted? Remember when you thought you were being funny and you did this? and Remember you lied and you cheated and you steal? You've been in church all your life, but you lie and you cheat. And you, oh, God, I see it. There's that time. This visitation in which God comes into your life and makes you aware of all of this. You see it. You can't blame anybody. You're not a victim. You're a sinner. You're sinful. Your nature, as Paul wrote, your nature is corrupt. We cannot change it. We are all doomed people. We are, the Bible says, by nature, the children of disobedience. We're hooked. It's a curse. We're under a curse. And a curse is a condition upon which a person cannot escape. There's no way out of it. Money can't get you out. More church, drugs, nothing can get you out from under a curse. You're doomed. You're bound to your sin. Sin has dominion over you. And you see it. If you ever see yourself like this, you have an opportunity to genuinely turn around and get out of it. But if you only feel bad about what you've done, and, well, I'm not the only one, you'll stay like that the rest of your life. And God leans on you. God lets you get down in a little hump, just like David In Psalm 51, where all this started, against thee and thee only have I sinned. O God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Let me hear joy and gladness again, Lord. David said, my heart is broken. I'm a deplorable and an evil man. I have done everything wrong. I am totally accountable for what I've done. It's not my parents, not my culture or society or what part of town. It's me. I have allowed the devil to rule me. I have allowed the devil to entertain me. I have allowed the devil to misuse me and think I'm having fun. And yet every night there's that dark thing that hangs over you and you know you're wrong, but you don't know what to do about it because you can't. You are by nature like that. You can't change your nature. What are we going to do? There's only one hope any of us has. You know what it is. Only one way to get out from under a curse, to get broken free, to be loosed and have your sins be blotted out. There's only one way. That's Jesus Christ. And yet if he's just a figure and somebody that you're acquainted with but you don't really know, You'll stay where you are. But if the darkness and the evil and the sinfulness of your nature ever confront you and you begin to see how you really are, not with your friends, but with God, how indifferent you are when you see it and you begin to weep. That's what the sorrow is. Godly sorrow is in the Bible for a reason. Godly sorrow It's something that weights us down and pushes us down, and it's a feeling of hopelessness and despair and anguish and grief and sorrow. If you've ever been there, I believe I have been, If such a day I'll never forget it. It was such a moment it'll never leave my mind. I remember the day, the heat of the day, the place I was, where I was standing and what I did. It was just like it happened just a minute ago. I've never forgotten. It was such a moment in my life. My life had come to a climax. It was bang, there you are. Now, what are you going to do about it? I made a decision, which is what repentance comes down to. It's a decision. I don't want any more of that. I don't want any more of that. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to feel this way spiritually ever again, ever again. I don't ever want to be here again. Oh, God, deliver me. And I believe that if a man has ever genuinely turned away from his sins because of his sorrow and his hatred of those sins, he will never go back because that's what you go back to. And once you've turned away from the most awful spiritual moment in your life and you turn to God, you don't even know where you're going or what's going to happen. And the devil throws all these images in your mind. Yeah, well, this one tried it, that one tried it, she tried it, he tried it, they tried it. It never works. Look at everybody. Nobody's any different. They ever were. And all this. so Boy, you never quit fighting. There's a battle the rest of your life. But one thing I can tell you, I don't know what kind of fight I've got tomorrow, but I ain't never going back to where I was. I don't ever want to go back to that feeling and that anguish ever again. So life may be hard. I may be ignorant because I haven't been taught. I didn't know that I could do this or that because nobody taught me. And I may fail some of these trials because of a lack of understanding or lack of knowledge. But I would rather fail a trial and cry out to God than to go back where I was and quit. Because there ain't nothing where I came from but death. And it was God who delivered me from death. Now, repentance, I believe this. I do. I believe repentance is when the anguish of your sinfulness and the sorrow for it causes you to turn from it, never, with the constitution inside of you that says, I will never go back to that. Your struggles will continue through your life because you'll have to adjust. Life is all about growing. Life is all about change. Change. God didn't save you to leave you like you were, just so you could uh, have church. Let's just have church. Let's just do the church thing. And he saved you. He saved you because he loves you. And his plan for your life is to change you, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, our verse here today said, repent and be converted. You can't convert unless you first repent. If you're trying to live the Christian life unconverted, the very best you can do are programs, ideas, and opinions. That's why we have the Lutherans, the Baptists, the Calvinists, the Wesleyans. We have all these different ideas that we call religion because God's way is not the way that man really wants to go exactly so he devises his own way and that's what unconverted people will do if you've never been converted you can join church you can look converted but eventually it'll amount to nothing it'll fall apart it won't go anywhere you've got to repent and be converted. Listen to what Paul, when he went out to preach, this was what he declared. And he said to the, this group and that group and this part of the world and that part of the world, he said that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy, fit for repentance. Do you believe that if a man is truly repented, his life will show it? That's the converted life. If you truly have repent, you truly will convert. Because if you change your mind, converted means you'll change your direction. You'll change your way. Not good theological definition, but practical. You change your mind and you change your direction. Now this new direction you're going, no school can tell you how to do it. If you be led by the Spirit, the total dependence on something outside of yourself, something you cannot master, but something that must master you, a new and living way. I found the new way of living found, and yet it's one day at a time because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not given that information. It's today, and then the next day, And then the next day, but we must live lives consistent with our repentance. Otherwise, you have not. I didn't say you were bad people. You are about as good as the good people I know. I know a lot of people, but this is my family. I do not stand here today and know and believe that everybody in here has had a genuine life-changing repentance but I believe it's possible. And I believe it's offered because it's commanded. If you couldn't, why would it be commanded? Now you might've rejected it and it can't happen anymore. That's God's business, not mine. But the Bible says, repent and be converted. Become a different person. Walk in a different direction. The only way you can is by knowing what God wants you to do. So if you really have changed your mind, and you have turned to God, there must be a hunger and a desire in your heart to know what God wants you to do and how God wants you to live. Otherwise, we set aside what God is saying. We modify it. We change it a little bit. We don't talk about certain things very much. We find some things that we like. We major on those things. The church I grew up in did. You know, water baptism and taking communion every Sunday. But those are so major. Essential, I guess. I know down in uh, Nashville, I was in there years ago speaking at a church of Christ, of all things. And I was told that there are more churches of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee, than anywhere else in the world. And that sometimes one is on one corner one is on the other corner, and they won't even speak to each other. You know why? Because one of them at communion uses the common cup and the other one uses individual cups and they make a lot of theological little about that. You wonder, has a person ever met Jesus? Has a person ever met Jesus like Job did? Has he ever come to his senses like the prodigal did and let go of yourself and realize how much of a you really are? Have you ever done that and then turned like the prodigal did and said, I am going home, whatever price I have to pay, whatever this costs me, whatever I lose, give up, or walk away, I am going to do it because I am not going back to this hog pen that I came out of. That's what keeps folks from quitting. That's why people don't back off and give up. That's why those who stay steady through the years, they haven't forgotten what it was like to live sinful. They remember the judgment that they were facing if they didn't turn. It is appointed a man once to die, and after this, what? There's a judgment coming. I want God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want God to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you say, I was in church all my life. and God would say, you weren't in the situation that I had ordained. You were in something that a man made with man's fables and man's tales and man's organization and man's ideas and man's (laughs) wisdom. And that appealed to you more than what the Bible said. And you subscribe to that and you set aside the word of God. I never knew you. The word convert also means to turn. As I said, to turn your life around. To turn yourself from the way you've been going. It's an act of your will. It's a choice. Not only do I change my mind, I, that's out. I'm through with that. If I'm through with that, what am I going to do now? Well, I'm going to turn to God and, and live the way he wants me to, please, somebody teach me this, I would say. Somebody have the nerve and the courage to teach me what's right and don't worry about how I feel. Teach me the truth. Give me a chance to hear exactly what God is saying so that the Spirit of God will open my eyes and show me what he's saying. Falsehood doesn't set people free. Half-truth doesn't set people free. The only thing God will ever use to set anybody free is, is truth. Not watered down by man, right? I don't want to hurt your feelings type. of. That's not truth. Speak the truth. Speak the word. Didn't he say in season or out of season or in love? That's the only hope we have of getting lined out right before God is to hear the truth. And the truth hurts. It's like a two-edged sword. It's like a hammer. It cuts and divides and challenges the emotions and the will. You can't get away from the light that God shines in your heart when he shows you as a Christian what you're doing wrong. You may want to keep doing it, but he said, you can't do that and walk with me. You may keep doing it, but me and you won't walk together. Nobody will know it but you and I on Judgment Day you got to have a heart, folks. When a man changes his mind and turns himself around, he has to be willing to go all the way with the Lord. I want you to look at two verses of Scripture, John 12, 40, Ephesians 4, and verse 18. John 12 and verse 40. You don't want to do it God's way? You don't want to do it when he calls you? Okay. Think of this. He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor what? Nor understand with their heart. Now, none of this is difficult. So I want to ask you a simple question. I'm a simple man. If God closes the eyes and hardens the heart where it's no longer open, it hears, but it doesn't subscribe. And the eyes actually become blind so that you really can't see what God is saying. Is that what understand means? Understand means put it together. It means to perceive. If I don't understand something, I find myself going, what? I don't get it. Have you ever read in a book or maybe a verse in the Bible or something and you had to read it four or five times? You read it once, you go, what? and you read it again, huh? You read it again, what? And you keep reading until finally you read one word at a time and you go real slow and then you get it? I've read books before, read stories, novels and something would be said and I think, what? So I had to read it again. I didn't understand it. But when you do understand something, your conscience now is in harmony with what God has. Your conscience now becomes a good guide. Because it's got new light. And you find yourself understanding something you never quite understood before. You've even found yourself in your Christian life here, you found yourself having something explained to you going, oh, okay, okay, I never saw that like that before. Have you ever had that experience? Some of you have. Oh, okay, I never saw that before. Praise the Lord. Thank you. It's understanding. Your eyes are open. You see something. What's the purpose of it? The purpose of it is not only to ingrain in you what is right and truth, but also to be a guide, something that guides and directs you through life. And when you violate that, what happens to your conscience? Ding! ah, ah, ah. ah you're wrong. And he that knoweth, to do good and doeth it not. To him, it is it. God doesn't want you to walk in sin. It's not to have dominion over you and so forth. So your conscience is renewed here. And your convictions and all of that come in harmony with what God says because of His word. But if God blinds your eyes, if your heart is hardened because you have refused, you just want to be religious and go to heaven, then you will not. Get the picture. You will not, as he said, you will not understand with your heart and be what? Are you still in John 12, 40? If you do not understand with your heart, then you cannot be what? Converted. Am I telling you that in order for true and honest, convert from the lips of Jesus, for true conversion to take place, you have to understand what God is saying? especially about the things he's talking to you about. He said, he has blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes and understand, and the time of refreshing and be converted. And what? This is part of that refreshing, that last part, and I should heal them. I can tell you this this morning, you ought to be healed. We're supposed to be healed. Well, that condemns me. It's not designed to condemn you. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Boy, you are a lot about that in the Bible, a lot of that. He's hardened their hearts so that they cannot see with their eyes and they cannot understand with their heart and thus be converted, be turned around because you don't know what to turn around to. Look in Ephesians, look at that other verse, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. Now he's talking here about the lost, having the understanding darkened. Well, they can't see. Having the understanding darkened, being cut off or alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of what? Let me ask you a question then. Why are people spiritually ignorant? I didn't say you were, did I? Why are Christians spiritually ignorant? Because of the blindness of what? Their heart. Why is the heart blind? Because it's hard. It has rejected. It has resisted. But that's the nature of man. He is by nature a rebel. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. He likes the benefits, but that's as far as he's going. Jesus said, if you understand with your heart, you'll be converted. It means you'll turn. How important is that? If my people who are called by my name, if they will first humble themselves, you got, that's a sermon in itself. You've got to have a reason for doing that. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves, you know what the rest of it says? He goes on to say, if they will turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. That's what conversion is. You turn in your mind. I see myself like you see me. And I abhor, to use Job's words, I abhor myself. This is the worst feeling I've ever had in my life because death and eternity is staring me right in the face. The curse that is on my life is about to win the biggest battle in my life. I'm doomed. And yet I'm offered release. I don't ever want to go back to that again. So I'm going to turn around and we'll turn to God. James 5. Look at James 5 for just a moment. Look at verse 19. Look at what it says in there about you and me when we do what we're supposed to do with the lost world out there. James chapter five, he said, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, can we do that? Can we so influence our brother, our sister, our children, our parents, our neighbors? Can we have an anointing from God of such strength that as we passionately share this message that God will turn them around? He said here, if any one of you err from the truth and someone converts him, turns him around, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Thank God for conversion. But what good is conversion if you don't live converted? I mean, It's a life that God has called us to live. Listen to what Job said. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who gives understanding to the heart? God. What is a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? It's the Holy Spirit. It's what God does. Again, nobody in here can gain godly wisdom and spiritual understanding unless God does it. And if this morning is an opportunity for some of that to happen, then some of that can happen now. But if you don't want it to, if you're already indifferent to it, your arms are folded, you're sort of, I don't know about all that, then it'll never happen. You'll just be a good Method Baptist Presbyterian all of your life. And you'll question the Bible the rest of your life on why don't things work for me? Why happens? Why I read all? I go to church, I give. None of that stuff works for me. But there is something about conversion. Look at Ezekiel in the middle to the right. Ezekiel. Chapter 11, this is what God said, beginning in verse 19, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. We would call in the New Testament, we would reference this as the new birth, a divine changeover. It was spoken of then, remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, you mean you're a teacher of the Jews and you don't know what that is? All right here's where he was talking about. And verse 12 begins with the word that. We would say so that, in order that. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit, so that. They may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But for those whose heart in the following verse walketh after their own evil imaginations and so forth, there are those. They're there too. But God said his people will receive from him his spirit. He will put in his people a new heart, not a hard one, but a new heart. The place you hide his word in your heart. He will give you that ability and that capacity. God will do this. You turn around to God, and he begins to do stuff in you, which is called the times of refreshing, the total changeover of life, a new way of living. And he said, I will give you this new heart and this new spirit so that you can walk the way I want you to walk and never say, it's too hard, I can't do that. You'll never say that. Because God doesn't say things to us that he wants from us that's impossible. He doesn't do that. It's not over our heads. Look at Ezekiel 36, being as you're already back there. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause, C-A-U-S-E, cause. If God is going to cause something to happen, is it going to happen? What if man doesn't want to happen? It's going to happen anyway because God does something in a man's heart that he wants to cooperate The work of God is to cooperate. Jesus said in John 6 and verse 29, He said, This is the work of God that you believe. It all comes down to that. He said it. Believe it. Just believe it. Take Him at His word. If He said it, that's what's going to happen. Notice, in verse 24, God chooses us in Ezekiel 36. He said in verse 24, he said, For I will take you, I will make a choice of you. I will pluck you out of the miry clay. I will bring you to myself, knowing what I'm getting is a flawed vessel, full of cursing and lying and cheating and stealing, sinful. And he brings such a thing before him. And the next thing he does in verse 25 is he cleanses it. Nobody else can cleanse us. No program in any church, no design of any man can cleanse you. Only God can do it. And he does it his way by his spirit. Because he said in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, Will I cleanse you? And in verse 26, he renews us. That new heart I will give you. I'll put my spirit within you. And then in verse 27, he says he'll motivate us. I will cause you to live in a way that when you live that way, I will say to you at the end, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I can't do this. He does it. The changing of my mind is a work of God. Repentance is a gift. God grants repentance. From 2 Timothy 2 to Acts 8, God grants it. We can't just one day say, Well, I'm going to turn away. You can't. You're under a curse. The whole world, Galatians 3, read it. The whole world's under a curse the curse of the law it still looms hangs over the whole world the only deliverance from it is through christ and boy when he turns you away from that don't have the audacity to think i want to go back to it because if it does you're like a dog going back to its vomit in second peter 2 what a chapter in the bible it reads like the current headlines in a religious paper. Evil, wicked men doing evil and wicked things. People approving of it. And they say this, but they do that. They don't mean what they're saying. And they turn back to these wicked, beggarly elements that they were once delivered out of they thought they were. it's like a hog going back to wallow. Like a dog going back to its vomit. That's how God describes any kind of urge to go back where you once were. That's what you go back to. That's why a wise man, a wise man, is not one who says, well, I was better off then than I am now. That's what they said when they came out of Egypt. Well, at least when we were there, we didn't, you know, when we were blah, 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 blah. A wise man says, though my life is not easy right now, though my journey is difficult, There's a lot of potholes and stumps in the way of my plow. I would rather struggle the rest of my life than to ever go back to a I never knew you kind of life. Because that would make me a fool. A fool. But God says, I'm going to call you. I'm going to choose you. I know who I'm getting. I know what kind of people I'm getting. Look at us. Look at me. You didn't know me like I was. I don't know you. We don't need to know each other. I remember. I remember the grief that moment. I do. I still remember that moment, kneeling up front, how I wept. I was deeply crying because of how bad I'd been. I never saw it like that before. All I could do was weep. I got up, my eyes were puffy, and I was drying off my tears. My life has been changed ever since. Oh, there's been hit the wall how many hundred times in your life, traveling, disappointment with people, disappointment with yourself, failings, flaws, weaknesses. You feel like you ought to just go back, you're no good. (laughs) Let me tell you all something. It's not the message today. You all know that God has a way of keeping you humble. He can do things and make you see that you're not quite as much as you think you are. You're not quite as advanced as you were thinking you are. He can make you, as a preacher, I know God can keep you humble, and I'm glad He did. Otherwise, you could start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. A lot of things can happen, but God can keep you humble. But if He keeps you humble, and you are at the mercy of God with your head bowed, he can use you. He can trust you. Paul said again, my mission is to go into the world like Jesus did, like the disciples did, like John the Baptist did, and tell people that they should repent and turn to God. He grants that to people. That's allowed And when they turn to God, back in Acts 3 again now, as we come to a close, Acts 3 and verse 19 again, he said, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that your sins should be blotted out. Or that your sins should be blotted out when or so that the times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. Do you want that? Well, you get that. You don't have to really want that. That's part of the deal. The more you read and study this, my problem with studying things like this is when you begin to look at this verse and that verse, you could add 50 verses. We'd be turning to Scripture until this evening that verifies this. Once God brings you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, once he alters and changes your nature and you get the new heart and the new spirit, and he turns you around, uh, you still got a lot of stuff in your mind to work out. If mind still has to be renewed. There's still these wrong patterns of thought and weaknesses of your mind and ideas and opinions. You've still got that. And it's going to run right into the word of God, and then you're going to have a chance to get on a cross and die to everything that doesn't see things his way. And every time you surrender to God and you put down Flesh and self and carnality. God elevates something different and bigger and better in your life until one day you come. It doesn't take money and fame and fortune and toys to experience what David longed for the joy of the Lord. God gives it. Amen. That's right. It doesn't matter. You be content. In this greedy world, isn't it amazing in this greedy world you can be content? You can actually say, I don't need any more than what I've got. If I had any more than what I have, I'd just spend it. I'm happy and at peace right now. My longing is to serve God. The joy of reading the Bible in the morning and seeing things jump off the page at you, verifying what you believed before, enhancing your strength in the Lord, or something new comes up and you go, oh, praise God. Just the joy of that. Or oh, the joy of working out in the yard and God speak to you. Or waking up in the night with a revelation. Oh, I had a good one the other night and I only got a piece of it back but just the joy of that. It doesn't take money, and it doesn't take fame and fortune. Big, fine, fancy building with all of the refined... Uh, that would be wonderful, trust me. But that doesn't make the Christian life better. That doesn't enhance spirituality in you. There's something about the new way that God turns us. It begins with... The blotting out of sins, he said in verse 19. The blotting out of sins. It's interesting. The word blotting out means really to liberate from that curse or from that bondage, to liberate you or to release us from all the offenses in our life that we have committed against God. But it's more than that. One writer, I thought this was interesting, he said, to blot out sins is taken from the practice of, of creditors charging their debtors, and when the debt is paid, canceling it or wholly removing it from the record. It means to totally remove the record, the charge, and every trace of the account against us. And in this way, God forgives sins. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, Blotted out that's a new song. That's my song is blotted out I'm pardoned I'm pardoned though. I sin the record shows I'm forgiven. It's gone. I've been pardoned I can walk now and stand before God at his invitation and come boldly to the throne of grace and Enjoy his presence in a way that he teaches me how to enjoy his presence how to find satisfaction in knowing him. I don't know many people that have that. The sheer satisfaction of just having peace in your heart while you're going through trials. Of just knowing it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. God's going to take care of this. How do you know? Because that's what he said. He doesn't lie. He's not a man that he should lie. If he said it, that's what he does. He does. See, my mind couldn't wrap myself around that years ago, but now I'm with Christ. Of course he can. Of course he can. My head is bowed. My hands are out. My ears are open. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is active and working. He said he can do it. Of course he can. He said he will take care of you and and guide you through life. Of course he will. Not arrogantly. He wouldn't say you'd do that and then not do it, would he? If God said it, does he not do it? Has his word gone out to accomplish that which he pleases? Does it say what he said he would do? Well, yes. Does he do what he said it would do? Yes. What am I to do with that? I'm to believe it. Thank you, Lord. There's no barrier between us anymore. My sins are gone. I don't have to come sneaking up on the Lord. Oh, I'm such a. T- he already knows that. You've been forgiven. He has forgiven you of all your sins. Think of it. All those nasty, dirty, sinful ways of your past. Every now and then, the devil throws a flashback in your mind. Remember that time you did this? Remember that time you said, remember that oh whole man? Remember that time you were in college? college is like a a nightmare to me except for (coughs) miss bonnie of course she reminds me of that but so much went wrong so much of the who i really was came really out in college And a lot of those things, as they are beginning to lift off and go away, have haunted my life for 30 or 40 years. You wonder if you can make it through without that stuff coming back again. And you know you can because the older you get, the stronger you get. You're getting more and more free. I think that's why old people dream dreams. and They're not cluttered anymore with (laughs) with their sins of the past. Amen. But he said, the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. It's a message that deserves more time than what I can give it. The times of refreshing. There's things here that we need to hear. We need to grasp a hold of. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a decision right now to save that one for next week. The times of refreshing. Now, let me say this in closing. You really want that. Amen. You really, really want that. You think a cold drink of water on a hot day when you're sweating, oh, you think that's good? The spiritual stuff far exceeds that. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. This morning for the work that you do, for the way that you do your work. The challenge that you issued to us when we were in our sins. The light that you brought to bear on our hearts when we were sinful. The wonderful and peaceful work that you've done in our hearts to turn us around. May we ever, more than anything else, be thankful for that, Lord. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for all your grace and your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see what you're saying as clear as we can. And to see what you're saying in such a way that we earnestly desire it we willing to pay whatever price we have to pay to get it. And so hate our sins of the past that we will never turn back to them. Revive us, O oh Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?
1: Blessed be the name of the Lord, you are worthy to be praised and adored, so we lift up holy hands in one accord, singing blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be Kings, Lord of Lords